It's not so much the stigma, the, the bit that concerns me is that there's not consistency sometimes in delivery. They don't keep it going and it's this kind of short term fix for things. Stigma has definitely been uh, in existence from time immemorial, I would say. And not just uh, stigma here within the UK or within Scotland, but globally. You can't, you can't really draw a line between people that have experienced mental health problems and people that haven't, you know. I can imagine people that haven't are, I don't know, 1% of the population or something. Some weird, yeah, psychological makeup. So people were attracted to that. Welcome to Reclaiming Our Heritage, a mental health foundation podcast inspired by its two-year oral history project supported by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. The project's aim is to record and preserve the spoken testimonies of the mental health community between the 1950s and the early 2000s. The full interviews by these contributors and others are available in the Reclaiming Our Heritage archive on the Scottish Mental Health Arts Festival website. My name is Helena Rafai and in each episode I will explore themes and these will be further discussed by a professional guest. The Reclaiming Our Heritage project is funded by a number of donors, including an Our Heritage grant from the National Lottery Heritage Fund. On this podcast, we'll be exploring how stigmas have evolved over the years and hearing from different voices on this theme from the Reclaiming Our Heritage archive. We'll also be exploring themes of creativity and the arts because the thing that ties all these voices together is their involvement in mental health and the arts. Our expert on this episode is Wendy Halliday. Hello, Wendy. Hello. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yes, I'm Wendy Halliday and I'm director of CME. And CME is Scotland's national programme that looks to end mental health stigma and discrimination. And we've been a partner to the Arts and Film Festival and the team in the MHF for a number of years. I just want to start briefly with your role in the organisation, CME. How are some of the ways that the organisation approach stigma? Sure. I think one of the things, CME's been around for a long time. We're actually having our 20th anniversary this year. So I think what it highlights is addressing stigma is not a quick fix. It's something that we've got to continue to work at. The CME programme has evolved over time really to respond to, well, I guess it's about response to shifting picture of, of stigma in Scotland. But it's also in response to our learning from our own experience, but also learning from other places that are taking an anti-stigma approach. See Me started off as a campaign way back and it's evolved into quite a complex programme of work that seeks to look at stigma and adjacent stigma at a multitude of levels. Great. Now might be a great point to explore some of the archived voices that we've had and talk about the theme further. 
Firstly, we hear from Rachel, who was interviewed by Ben. Born in 1971 and grew up in Drumchapel and moved to the Outer Hebrides when she was 10. Um, she returned later to Glasgow, studied at Cumbria Institute of Arts in Carlisle, and she's a community artist and has worked in a number of prison services in Scotland um, and with young offenders too, Barlini, Sauton, Pullman, and several hospitals. Started with Theatre Nemo and uh, then delivered workshops within these aforementioned places and she focuses on how creativity brings people together and offers a therapeutic platform for mental health issues. Could you tell us a bit about how the attitude towards using art or the arts in um, to help mental health issues differed in prison to the psychiatric uh, wards that you worked on I, I can imagine them were quite different tell, but I'd like to know more about that yeah it was quite different one of the things about you know like the criminal justice system is that obviously they have sort of health services within those institutions and um, then there's the custodial aspect as well and there is a big sort of separation differentiation between the two i think there's people who are maybe sort of, you know like prison officers maybe are more of a kind of custodial style and think people should be in there because of what they've done but then there's this kind of other aspect where there's nurses and psychiatric assessments and all those things go on within those institutions as well and it kind of you need the right people with the right attitudes to kind of work in harmony with these guys and make those things work so there was always challenges and it's a difference of opinion and you know so but the primarily my whole experience working in the kind of you know like the recreational setting if you like or the 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 space where they had designated for those activities the staff there were extremely helpful and supportive you know as they should be going back to the, the sort of uh, the issue of stigma that there is around mental health what what ways have you, you recruited or you know what ways have you come to work with the people who you've worked with given that there is a stigma re- related to mental health and and has that changed from early days to now you'd hope that mental health awareness was changing and it might be easier but has that changed and how have you i i have to kind of be really honest and say I haven't actually ever designed a whole project before. I'm usually sourced in by organisations as a freelancer for 10 weeks or 20 weeks or for whatever. And I don't, well, that's not entirely true, actually, because I did do a, a project up Drum Chapel last year or the year before. And um, it was a doctor art on prescription, it was supposed to be. And it was people were getting referred to sort of creative workshops as a kind of complementary therapy alongside other things. Yeah, and I didn't actually have a group to start with because I wasn't getting any referrals. I mean, I was in a room for about two weeks on my own 
And I was getting really frustrated because I felt as though I was getting paid really well for not actually doing anything. So I kind of contacted the community liaison officers and, you know, like I kind of went out myself as opposed to the people that had sourced me to do that. I kind of took used the initiative and got out there and kind of went and spoke to loads of people. And, and then, you know, after 20 weeks, we had like 15 people coming regularly, people popping in and out and, you know, and it was amazing. But that was it. 20 weeks, boom, gone. That's not great, you know, because those people really started relying on that facility being there. So I think that is kind of, you know, like, it's not so much the stigma. The, the bit that con concerns me is that there's not consistency sometimes in delivery. It's they, they don't keep it going. And it's this kind of short-term fix for things. I think people do talk more about how they feel about their feelings. I think men don't generally. Most of the groups I participate in, it's mainly women. And that's something that I think is really difficult because how do you get out there to speak to them and get them to come? I mean, I have had men in group, my community groups, you know, but there's a huge amount of mental health issues within men and it's kind of there. They're not getting out there to kind of try things to see if it helps. I have to start with the word stigma um, surrounding mental health in general and just ask generally because it's it's a huge subject and there's so many different facets and nuances to it. What are some of the effects of this that you've witnessed through your work when it comes to stigma? It's really interesting because people's experience of stigma is so varied. As you say, it's complex. It's across society. And what we try to look at is stigma really at a number of levels. The stigma that people hold themselves the stigma that people hold for others um, and I guess the attitudes and, and prejudice that people carry and the impact that those attitudes and prejudice has then when engaging with other people, meeting other people, speaking with other people. But in a sense, what we hear regularly is that stigma ultimately is about a judgment. It's a judgment that people make on others. And what it can often lead to is shame. Shame for that person where they feel they've been judged and that they are somehow failing. You know, it has an impact on individuals from a self-confidence point of view, from a I'm not um, I'm not worthy, I'm not able, that they believe that. And what it can sometimes do is lead to isolation for many people. Loneliness, isolation, where people just disengage. Yeah. Rachel highlights in that conversation the difference of opinion that can arise when it comes to the type of healthcare and services available to people in prison, um, with some people thinking that because they're in prison, they've done what they've done and they perhaps shouldn't receive anything else or any greater service to them. Um, and that can impact the care that they receive. On the flip side, it's people, as Rachel put, puts it, have the right attitude and work in harmony to make things work. Um, there's a lo lot of judgment, isn't there, around people's situations where we have sometimes, and we have to kind of sometimes stand back and remember that everyone's a human being at the end of the day. 
have you had much interaction when it comes to those type of situations with prisons and institutions via CME, or is that something that you're on the periphery of? No, we've we've come across that and we work on that particularly. So I talked a, a little bit earlier about sales stigma and the impact that that can have on individuals. But as we know, stigma runs at a number of other levels. So one of the other factors we would describe is the kind of structural stigma. So the ways in which the ways organisations run, both in terms of their policies, their practices and the beliefs of the professionals that work within them, can have a significant impact on how mental health is considered, how it's talked about, the culture through which people feel free and able to talk about mental health and mental illness and the impact that that has. Our own views really is, and this is borne out from working directly with people with lived experience, what everybody wants is a human response. So what everybody wants is irrespective of the setting you find yourself in, it's only fair that people are treated in a way that really responds to their needs. And I think people are disadvantaged, particularly people with more complex mental health problems who maybe at times can't champion for whatever it is they would be looking for or and rely on some advocacy and support for getting the right care or treatment or support in place. But I think what we've got to, we constantly work to do in CME is to try and address some of those those barriers that get in the way of people receiving a human response, receiving a response that's fair and really matches their needs. And that actually leaves them in a place where they feel empowered and, and valued and respected. We champion a human rights-based approach and have done for some time. Yeah. And and that's just a simple way of putting it is that that human response. I think things can sometimes just become overcomplicated at certain levels. There's perhaps also this stigma around the arts. It's not only as a practice when it comes to the arts, but also for people to gain access as a means for mental health recovery and assistance. Have you seen that gain more in acceptance? I think so. I mean, I think I've been a strong um, champion and an advocate of looking, exploring mental health through the arts. And the arts is just a medium, a really good way of doing that. And I guess it's a whole, you know, looking across all the different mediums from TV to, you know, books, script writing, poems, videos, whatever it is. Any creativity that allows a space and place for people to express and, and share their experiences, I think, is particularly valuable. But I think it goes deeper than that too, because I think one of the things is the arts brings connectivity, it brings people together. And one of the things we know about addressing stigma is where it works best is where people are working right alongside people who have no direct experience of mental health problems or illness. And doing so in a way that brings them together as equals, that empowers all parties in that mix. And gives them a space and place really to, to express, to understand, to have conversations and have attitudes challenged around that. So I think the, the arts give a really good space for that. The arts can really enhance everybody's well-being. It can provide an opportunity for therapeutic intervention, you know, where somebody's maybe needing more direct support or where they would really benefit from coming together and, and being together and that has a benefit to their real being. But also the part about the creativity and the exploration around 
what it's like to live with mental health problems and illness. And I think many of the projects that we've been involved in over the years have really been fantastically powerful in terms of bringing that story, bringing that real human story to people's experiences and in ways that can hopefully reach a range of different audiences so that some of those attitudes and and perhaps prejudice and ultimately behaviours could change as a result. Yeah. So I'm going to move on to Mahmoud, who was born in 1977, interviewed by Roz and uh, grew up in Iraq. At five years old, moved to Babylon and then at 18, moved to the UK. He's a community development worker and Mahmoud has years of experience facilitating and organising projects about mental health. Um, certainly circles that I'm sure we've both been part of as well. And for the past 12 years, he's worked with Vox Scotland and within his role coordinated the Moving Minds Festival, which was a national diversity and mental health day of events as part of the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival. So let's hear from Mahmood. With the, the, the festival, what kind of um, people are you trying to reach you know, with, with your audience, like an age range or a background? I think, uh, uh, so myself, um, it's everyone and anyone. And, you know, there's there's no real age range. We've had all, I mean, obviously we've had uh, pieces uh, of creativity that do have an age, you know, whether it's a, a theatre production that's uh, recommended 14 plus but we've 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 also had uh, animation workshops and dance workshops and writing workshops and that have had two five-year-olds being involved in toddlers so I, I suppose the more people there are the more diverse views there are the more diverse creativity there is um, and it's really that that diversity that we want to encourage and celebrate were there any key messages that you were trying to get across with this work? To me, there were two key avenues. One was allowing different communities to be aware of the different avenues to accessing help and support. Uh, the other one is, was and is still uh, reducing stigma uh, and raising awareness because stig- stigma has definitely been uh, in existence from time immemorial, I would say, and not just... Uh, stigma here within the UK or within Scotland, but globally. Uh, and when you have people uh, traveling from other countries, they, they bring uh, notions with them as well. So whether it's their own prejudices or stigmas or the prejudice and stigma of the societies that they've been uh, growing up in. So that has definitely been a key issue for our membership, uh, from yeah, from as far as I can remember, but also um, not just stigma in terms of uh, other people's views and attitudes, but internal stigma, people's own stigma of themselves and self-blame. There's there's a lot of uh, that involved, and it's about breaking down these barriers and supporting people to to understand themselves better. How did you make people aware of the work that you were doing? Uh, I suppose through a lot of the networks that existed already, um, there's quite a lot of local collective advocacy groups across Scotland. Um, There's certainly 16 that I know of that are members of of Vox. So it was disseminating the information of what was happening. 
and then encouraging them to do things potentially locally. And I think that's kind of replicated within the festival itself, where different regions have taken on the festival and developed it in the way that suits them. And, and they've had that kind of ownership and leadership of it. We've also had uh, some coverage um, in terms of media and having uh, colleges and universities interests of sending different class years to, to events and promoting it and, and even uh, inviting us to, to come and uh, do workshops and things at, on their own uh, college campus, etc. Yeah, and th- there's been a lot of positive media interests, I would say, in, in the festival. And I think that's part of, you know, the human nature's interest in creativity and in arts or music or, you know, things that are just fundamental to, to being human. So that was Ros interviewing Mahmoud. Now, he talks there that there's no real age range in terms of demographic of who he was trying to reach. What differences in attitude do you find when it comes to mental health and age specifically? Um, I guess for me, stigma, it cuts right across the lifespan. So there isn't a period of life where there is no stigma in mental health that cuts right across. I think what I would suggest, however, is, and I think the issue is with COVID, lots of people are talking much more openly about mental health than perhaps they did. And there's a lot of data that would suggest that. However, what we're finding is that, again, the pandemic has it's had a significant impact on different groups of people. So we know that, um, for example, women are a particular priority that, you know, their their mental health has maybe been adversely affected during this, older people, children. So I think there's different circumstances for different groups of people. And what we constantly try and do is look at the data, try and understand what's happening, what's the stigma and discrimination look and feel like, and then see what we can do by way of uh, planning activity or intervention that would address that stigma. So I think what we're seeing and hearing is young people are um, experiencing more stigma. And I would suggest young people, and the, the, it seems from some of the data that the, the situation in whole makes things quite difficult. So the whole, you know, kind of lockdown and everything else, young people are describing that they're reaching out within their family, but perhaps they're not being taken seriously, they're not um, their issue hasn't been picked up or responded to or that they can't get access to the, the treatment and support that they require. So I think that these are factors that then lead to an increase in stigma and people feeling that they're being treated um, unfairly. Another area as well is um, older people and I think we're seeing a lot of data about the impact that older people have had um, through the, the pandemic. So again, that in turn has a, an impact on stigma and people not reaching out for fear um, that, you know, well, it's that sense of the services are very busy. So, you know, why would they want to see me over and above other people or the judgment or the shame or the, the, the fear of disclosing that there's something not quite right. So I think what I'm highlighting is that what we need to try to do is work out how best to engage different groups of people. And as as Mahmoud highlights, I think the arts gives an opportunity to do that. I believe, however, that targeting something and working perhaps through 
using um, the arts to to really tease out what stigma, discrimination looks and feels like for that group of people. And then also being able to share that with others can go a long way to describing the stigma and discrimination that different groups in our population are feeling and experiencing just now. Yeah, most definitely. Mahmood talks about music, creativity and art being fundamental to being a human. And sometimes I think that we often sugarcoat things when it comes to mental health. Through your work with See Me and perhaps through these arts projects and, and whatever else there is, do you feel that those things can really kind of hit hard and perhaps reduce that sugarcoating of the subject? Definitely. I think there's a space um, in at ment- looking at mental health and the arts that looks specifically at the experiences of people who live with more complex and severe mental illnesses. And I think you're right, there's probably a few uh, mental illnesses that I would suggest the stigma is still very much an issue. So schizophrenia, personality disorder. So I think, you know, there are certain illnesses that, yeah, they, they attract greater levels of stigma. But what I think we found is that it's often tackling the misunderstandings around those, the myths around those illnesses. And the more that we can engage, that's where I think the social contact piece is really important. So in other words, where people are coming alongside, so people who have experiences of living with those illnesses, coming in right alongside, meeting, engaging, describing their reality, it can go a long, long way to raising people's awareness and understanding of the illnesses and and the experiences. But more importantly about showing that recovery is real, recovery happens, people can live well. And a lot of the the kind of deep myths around, you know, people, all the negative stereotypes that come with them, really challenging that and really bringing that into a space where they can be discussed. And I think the arts do that really, really well. Some of the great um, sessions I've been to are where people have perhaps used poetry or they've told stories or they've shown videos that they made or poetry or whatever it is, whatever the art medium that they've created, they're able to describe that reality um, to let other people know. I think there have been occasions where now and again, sometimes the way the art's presented can actually reinforce some of those negative stigma um, or attitudes. And I think it's really important that they, uh, what we found is if there's a space for a discussion uh, when the, you know, the art's being shared or if it's being shared, in fact, and, you know, to encourage more conversation around that, that can, again, go some way just to reducing that. Yeah, no, 100%. And I love what you say about recovery there. I think it's like a often seen as a myth that you you can't recover. I've seen it happen. So I think the arts allow people to be able to describe the ways in which they can live well with their mental illness. That you know they're they're absolutely no different in that respect. And I think through the creative means, it really enables people to engage. And that in itself helps the recovery, doesn't it? That engagement, connectedness with others. So, 
Yeah, most definitely. We're going to move on to Ruth, who was born in 1976 and grew up in East Kilbride, started out in youth work and started with the NHS in 2005 after working for a charity setting up a befriending project and has experience of working in a youth centre in East Kilbride within arts, live music and drama. And young people she worked with there were not doing particularly well in mainstream education. And she later moved to Edinburgh and worked as a museum education facilitator and then moved to Dundee. In 2005 she moved into NHS and Positive Mental Attitudes Project and they used art and creative tools to challenge attitudes and assumptions about mental health in the community. Let's just listen to Ruth. The initial remit I believe was to work um, to reduce the stigma associated with mental health um, problems in Easterhouse in Glasgow. Uh, using the arts. So that was the, the job that I came into. Um, and we, we yeah, did exactly what it says in the tin, um, used used the arts to kind of engage with people around mental health. Um, <coughs> whether, sorry, <coughs> whether that was about training, so making, you know, making kind of films and videos and plays and things like that that were educational. Uh, we made a piece of theatre that was about suicide prevention where people could interact with the audience and kind of, uh, practice asking people about suicide. Um, we yeah did arts projects with people that had um, usually quite severe, uh, severe and enduring mental illnesses. Um, so bringing a lot of their kind of their own stories into that to you know kind of produce and work through, um, and then yeah sharing them with a with a wider audience. So there was quite a lot to it, and then there was different strands to it as well that were about. Um, sort of workplace mental health improvement. Um, I did a lot of work around schools and a mental health curriculum for, for schools. Um, but the arts the arts strand of it was yeah quite key to it. Um, and where um where the project really had picked up um yeah participants, volunteers, however however you want to term them. So that was kind of where the community was, was uh, people that yeah had experienced eye stigma really. How did you target those pe- people, the audience? How did you how did you find them? Well, to some extent, they were already there when I came in. But this this was back in the olden days. We had things like links clubs and clubhouses and places where people felt you know felt safe and felt familiar. Um, that they would yeah that a lot of people naturally went to anyway. So there was this kind of um, community really of connected. Yeah, people that that live with yeah longer term mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so that yeah, it was quite easy. And then if you did something, you know, if you we, we were open to anybody, it's yeah, open to absolutely anybody. Um, so any kind of performance or uh, you know, bit of poetry booklet or anything that would come out would tell people how they could join, how they could participate. So there was a bit of that kind of engagement, ongoing engagement with people. Um, so there was a a nucleus, if you like, of people that had been around for a while maybe been in that kind of clubhouse link club type model but then the broader wider group of people that got something out of arts participation um, and I think one of the yeah you can't you can't really draw a line between people that have experienced mental health problems and people that haven't you know I can imagine people that haven't are I don't know one percent of the population or something some weird yeah psychological makeup so people were attracted to that because they felt um, 
lacking in confidence or because they were lonely or because they yeah wanted to create um but yeah all all within that this yeah this is a mental health improvement project with kind of mental health as its goals but you know some people would come to that because yeah they got other things out of it or maybe they'd struggled with addiction and felt stigmatized because of that or yeah they were yeah bereaved and grieving or yes it was definitely became a much wider community Mm -hmm. but I do I do feel that we don't we've we've lost that and I personally worked really hard along with others to try and make arts participation accessible for everybody Uh, but it's not really happened so while while we kind of we closed down these kind of structures where people um would kind of go during the day and meet people um I don't think we've I don't think we've made provision in the broader community. So I think we still have people that are going to experience symptoms of mental illness and don't have those places to go. Ruth's work is similar to your own in terms of reducing stigma. And she talks about how she did this in Easter House using the arts, which is a working class area of Glasgow and historically linked to crime gang culture. But within these areas, as Ruth talks about, is a real connection within communities. And also, you'll always find someone that wants to make a change in those communities and um, in similar areas where there might be low income, perhaps, or less opportunities for people. How have you seen stigma tackled in those areas? I think one of the things that really strikes me is we've, for many years, see we've had anti-stigma champions, such as community champions who've come and they're involved, they generally volunteer their time. And what they do is they drive forward change in ways that they feel is right. And so that's one way whereby some people have come to us where they themselves are activists, they want to see change. And it's often based on their own experiences. And I think that certainly through them and some of the funded work that we've done with partners and some of just the partnership work that we do with many of our partners and supporters. The critical thing for me is about engaging with the community in that community development way where you're not imposing a a particular way of working but you're facilitating a space and an opportunity for people to come together and to be creative in whatever ways that means for them and it would be beneficial to them. And I think the other thing that we've learned is that if you've got people who have experience of mental health and and problems or mental illness in and amongst all of that, that's the richest environment really for people to be exchanging their experiences, to be talking about their experiences, to be evidencing them through whatever it is they're engaged in. And some of the fantastic projects I've seen um, you know, there might it might be films that were created in the East End of Glasgow looking at the experiences of teenagers. That that was one particular project I was involved in years ago. Actually, what they described, they wouldn't necessarily talk of stigma, but what they described was the inequality that they experienced every day and and you know, just how unfair and unjust that was. And they talked about their mental health and the impact it had on them. And, you know, and I think it's those types of things where it's really providing the means for that expression, but in a way that helps them and everybody involved. But the other critical thing, I think, is the audience for whom 
these materials or the arts being developed? Because often it's about, not always, because sometimes it's just the benefit of being involved in the arts for yourself, isn't it? Um, and whatever gain that's got for you. But I think thinking about the audiences and who is it that you really want to engage can often direct that piece of work too. So, you know, again, that particular youth video footage that was created by the young people was a way of trying to get those who were involved in designing the community and creating community-based services to bring to their attention what the issues were. So it was quite, you know, it was a way of bringing, again, that lived experience to life. Um, but very much from the young people's perspectives. It's the power of being empowered to see and express what you need to express, but also about the ways in which you then engage others to try and influence their attitudes, their understanding, and ultimately their behaviour so that, it, you know, we're trying to reduce whatever stigma people are experiencing. Yeah, and that's where the shame aspect comes in again, because you want to be able to have that shame diluted so that you feel that you can actually speak loudly or express loudly what, what it is that you're feeling. Yeah, I think the arts, certainly my experience of some of the mental health and arts projects have been fantastic in reducing some of that shame, reassuring people that actually it's okay, that they shouldn't be shamed, shameful or fearful of of having that voice. And, and actually, it is that empowering people, isn't it, to really um, be able to express what they need to express. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I've had so many conversations now where arts practitioners, volunteers, even this conversation and you, uh, you know, you name it, have seen how bringing the arts to people who might have a different perception of it has really made a difference and open up communication and confidence. Do you feel that Scotland invests enough in this? No, there would always be room for more. I think certainly in terms of, I mean, I think there's certainly a need for us to find new and different ways, creative ways of engaging populations for whom are kind of broader universal um, approaches messages campaigns just aren't working so I think what we talked about in terms of some of the more equality or diverse groups reaching out and engaging them we certainly need to invest a lot more in that and from a stigma point of view about understanding what the particular stigma is and the complex nature of that and then thinking through what can we do together with that community to take forward action that would really make that difference. So I think there's there's more investment needed in, in that respect. But I think just generally, I think that we should try to invest in um, more campaigns that really bring to the fore what lived experiences um, see me obviously plays a part in that, but I think there certainly could we could do with with more investment in that respect. And I think another area that we really need to and see me certainly considering much more fully is to look specifically at the experience of people living with those more complex mental health challenges, um, mental illnesses, and really paying attention to that going forward. So how do we ensure that? irrespective of your diagnosis, you're treated fairly, equitably, and you don't carry that shame, you know, how do we get? So we just need to continue to invest in that. Yeah. 
what would you like to see happen in the next five to 10 years when it comes to stigma, when it comes to the arts, when it comes to see me? Well, see me, it's interesting because we've laid out a five-year plan. So um, in the next five years, we wanted to really make a difference around stigma. And I guess there was three aspects to that. So there was something about how do we make sure that everybody can reach out, get the help that they need um, as and when they need it. So that kind of went our broader public health message of it's okay not to be okay, but to call out and get the help that you need. So there was definitely something for me there about continuing that momentum. But at the same time, I think we need to look at targeted approaches. So what we've said in this our strategy is there are groups of people who are just not engaging in anti-stigma work, not engaging in, in the arts, not engaging in. And what can we do to really harness and engage them, empower them in ways that would really lead to change for them? That if they, you know, in, in our case, if people are living with mental health problems, that they're able to be open about that, that they're able to reach out and get the support and that they're able to achieve the quality of life that they want and need in, in their community. So there's there's something for me about the targeting of our interventions. And the other part really, as I said earlier, it's about I think that we've come a long way in Scotland in respect of addressing some of the stigma around mental ill health. But I think we both said earlier that, that the stigma around certain mental illnesses still exists. And it's what do we need to do now to really um, drive that forward. So I guess what I would want to see in the next five years is that people with lived experience, that we come together, that we really mobilise and energise and really drive forward change in ways that do ensure that they can experience any any of the services, any of the parts of the, the community or the services that they reach out to that they get um, fair experiences and then through that and the critical thing for me is we are driving forward and see me a social movement for change so this isn't about a small team of people doing that we do what we can but actually where change will happen is when other people are joining us in that movement and I think that's where things like looking at stigma through mental health and the arts gives a fantastic opportunity for us to grow that partnership to really work with new people shifting our audiences and really developing our approaches in ways that's right for as many people as possible and to do so in ways that's right for them Rachel, Mahmood and Ruth all reveal the fantastic steps they've made to not only use the arts as a way to help those with mental illness, but also to help reduce stigma and normalise the conversations surrounding mental health and humanise an area that can often feel quite isolating. Rachel makes a valid point when it comes to her concerns over consistencies in delivery and the use of short-term fixes, and it's clearly vital that these discussions are continued. It's therefore thanks not only to what she's doing, but also Wendy and her organisation See Me in making these discussions more visible. Mahmood echoes a lot of what communities feel in that the arts is fundamental to being human. Wendy cements this with her comments about how important the arts is for looking at experiences of those living with mental illness, but also at more complex illnesses. 
The stigma may still be an issue, but Wendy says this is often about tackling the misunderstandings and myths around these complexities, and surely we should use art more widely in that respect. Ruth's comments about not drawing a line between those who have and who haven't experienced mental health problems is potentially key. Bringing everyone together to reduce stigma, to have greater knowledge and empathy going forward is important, and that's where art can play a big part. And as Wendy says, bringing more people with lived experience in to help drive forward change is paramount, and the fantastic opportunity of looking at mental health and stigma through the arts can create a wider social movement for change. This podcast has been presented, produced and edited by me, Helena Rafai, for the Mental Health Foundation, with music by Lucy Parnell. The Reclaiming Our Heritage project is funded by a number of donors, including an Our Heritage grant from the National Lottery Heritage Fund.